All right. Hello. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Once again, it's time for the Chi and Khalil show. I keep wanting to call it the Khalil and Chi show. I wonder why. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, that was the original title until we was bamboozled <laughs> and run amok and bullied. But anyways, we're not going to go into that. We're going to go ahead and get into your boy Rudy Giuliani's hair dye. Oh, Lord. <laughs> So, I can't. I can't even watch any of it. Like I, I can't see pictures. I don't want to watch videos because that it was so. Mm-mm, no. Mm-mm, mm-mm. So the the weirdest thing is that. So that the scariest thing wasn't even the fact that his hair was just like running down with oh, brown God. stuff, right? So the scariest thing was the real the things that were coming out of his mouth and the other attorney's mouth, right? See, I didn't even hear that, but I heard it was it was the most dangerous like press conference in in U.S. history or something like that. What did he say? Hold on, D. Is he really gonna stand there and act crazy? <laughs> so this is what happens when you open your home to homeless people. <laughs> they come in and they harass you. Are you doing yeah. You wanna hey. say hi? What's up, y'all? How y'all doing? Oh my okay. god. <laughs> okay, bye, cuz. Oh God! All right, so the press conference, right? Uh-huh. So they were basically just saying things like it was weird. Like if you watch the lady, I didn't really watch Giuliani because I couldn't. Mm-hmm. I had to stop after the lady, <laughs> the lady attorney. I don't even didn't even look up her name, but it'll be in the note. But she was just in there yelling like, "You the fake media! You the fake media! Do this and that, and you won't give us the evidence. You say that we're not providing evidence, but..." Blah, 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 blah. Normally, this would take a million years to do all these things, but we have all of these evidence. I'm going to try it really fast. Mind you, they just went there and shouted that they had evidence, but never gave any evidence. And then also, their basically argument was, in these Democratic states, all of a sudden, Biden had all these Democratic votes. Where did they come from? Um, Democrats who vote? So this is the other thing. It's all the stupid. It was all a red mirage anyways. They're like, oh, you know, everyone went to sleep thinking Donald Trump was the winner. No, no, no. No, no, no that was Hillary Clinton. <laughs> I'm no, sorry. What, yeah, what had happened was <laughs> these states like Pennsylvania decided that they weren't going to start counting the mail-in votes until election day. So it takes longer <laughs> to count them because they all are in envelopes and they have to open them up and then put them in the machines as opposed to people just coming in and voting and then being registered pretty much immediately, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So since your boy Tupe Fiasco discouraged mail-in voting, the majority of the people who, and Democrats encouraged it, the majority of mail-in votes were Democratic. Like that's was always, that was already expected. People mm-hmm. already knew that. So yeah, when you start counting the, the mail-in votes, there's going to be a lot more Democratic votes in the swing states and in the states that are tra- traditionally democratic like that's that's not a shock it was already planned right yeah out by them by the way they were going right. to count all the statistical also, models suggested so I mean, right I, and the, I yeah and the other thing is that you know states make their rules about the election beforehand and they, these were rules that were made by republicans about when it could be postmarked when it could be arrived etc cetera, etc cetera. so it wasn't like this was a democratic scheme at all, they're just basically grasping at straws to get people all riled up. And you, by democratic scheme, you mean like democratic small d? The democratic party. Oh, the democratic party, got it. Okay, got it. Yeah, it wasn't a, a scheme by them 
to magically steal votes. Right. And then they talk about some, oh, yeah, and the algorithm shut down the machines in such and such place and other things. It's it's just a travesty. So, number one, traditionally, the Republicans, Democrats, even though they act like they're fighting each other, when it came down to things like this, they realized that having a stable government is more important than most of the arguments that we've made. Like, even for mm-hmm. us on the show, when we talk about like healthcare versus public for this, this or that. Right. Like not having an active civil war is more important than all of that. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> you know what I mean? Just basically. Cause... Well, technically, it depends on who you're talking to, apparently, because a war drives certain aspects of the economy. Yeah, but not right? when it's in your own place. Because the thing is, when you have war in your own country, it destroys all the means of production, destroys the economy, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, like buying tanks and airplanes and bombs drives Lockheed Martin's stock up, but you have to make sure those bombs are dropped elsewhere, not on your own country, if you're talking about pure like economics. Like having, if you think like the, the Rona shutdown messes up the yeah. economy, like imagine just bombs going off everywhere <laughs> and tanks I'm, going through it too. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm just you know, laughing I, you know, because get no essential workers to McDonald's. I can tell you that they're all dead. Like, well, I mean, they're know, not going like... to McDonald's to work. I can tell you right now, <laughs> there ain't no McDonald's happening. Oh God! Yeah, the toilet paper no. shortage. Do you think it's short now? <laughs> yeah. Have Hopefully, you got your three-year supply. Oh my gosh! I mean, that's the thing. Hungry. We used to talk about this with like with like other wars, whether it's the Afghanistan war or the Iraqi war or what whatever war we have put ourselves into. Like, if you've never had war in your geographic space, then you don't know what it means to go to war or live through war. So this mm-hmm. sort of hyper hyper interest in war by Americans and violence is very short-sighted like it it just doesn't they, they can't even contemplate what it what it feels like hell i can't even because i've lived in the u.s right can't right. contemplate what it's like to wake up to bombs or not be able to sleep because of air raid warnings or don't even get an air raid warning because you're in a developing country right and so there's no there's no system there to warn you that somebody is coming it's just gonna happen like yeah. live and through that for one yeah. day y'all complaining about coronavirus what right. And it's decades and decades and generations of recovery because like, yeah. you don't know, go to school, like you can't train engineers, you can't train teachers, right? people can't eat, you can't support your kids. It's, it's just all kinds of, all kinds of nonsense that you don't want. A lot of people leave and go to other countries. You get a lot of brain drain. Mm-hmm. Like, there's things Precisely. that Nigeria. like, you know, it's bad, but like you say, like, we can't imagine how bad it really is. Yeah. But anyways, it's all tomfoolery just to try to make Donald Trump win when it's obvious he's just a disaster. No, he, it really just this whole entire thing has been a disaster and and we saw it coming and I'm really I'm not surprised, I'm just frustrated that when you turn on the news any sort of cable news network program they still well most of them still talk about this whole the last 5 years as if the language that they use is as if this is normal, like trying to put it in the context of normal instead of calling it what it is. Like, I mean, the easiest example is like misspeak versus lie. They finally figured out that you just have to call them a liar, right? And it's like say that the things that they're doing are lies. 
but you still have people saying if he had done this, then he would have won. And I'm like, why, why are we talking political strategy with a man whose only political strategy was a reality television show schematic, which works for TV and apparently works for the, the American people to a certain extent. Like, how is that? How, how, why are we talking about him in the context of normal? This is not normal. And, and it's, it's certain looking people who get to say things like that. And I, I, I just wish that they would, you know, turn, turn the dial and like turn the dial to the frequency that get, puts them into reality instead of the reality they wish they had, or we should have been having if we didn't have this dude as, you know, president right now. Right. And every once in a while, the reporters actually just break down for real. Like um, your boy, when he was talking about the obese turtle laying on his back, flailing. Like number one, I had never never heard of an obese turtle, right? Like so, turtles eat vegetables, leaves. I don't think they can actually be obese, but yeah, when he broke it down as he's just an obese turtle laying on his back, flailing in this fun, it was. I mean, that's that was that was that was pure poetry, actually. <laughs> that was that was pure po- because you could instantly see the image and you could understand then what we were dealing with, right? Like, right. That's it. Anyway, yeah. So yeah, I I agree. The obese turtle is um yeah. is a good way of putting it. I mean, I just the la the the last week, this past week has just been so interesting because I want to understand the psychology of those who are accepting the premise that this man is is good for the country because he's sending out fundraisers, right? Fundraising emails (laughs) that basically at the bottom of the email, if you read the small print, it's like all of this money that you're sending to us, or at least 75% of it is going to my super PAC, right? It's not even to help me with the legal problem. And then the legal problem that they say that they're arguing before the courts, they're not even arguing before the courts because then they'd be found in like contempt and go to jail or something. Like, how is it? How, so I'm, I'd, I'd like to understand, maybe Khalil, you might have more insight into this. Like, why, why would you still think he's good for the country? Well, the thing is, right, hmm. if you've already gone this far down the line with him, mm-hmm. to admit that you were wrong means that you've been wrong for the past, what, five years? At least. So it's just hard to do. Like once charlatans, and this is true of like any kind of dictatorial like person, mm-hmm. once they get you on their side, like they, you're, it's almost impossible to get you back to reality. Like it's almost impossible to get you back out. Once charlatans have convinced you that they're good, mm-hmm. no matter how much they lie, to try to get you back out is almost impossible, right? Yeah, because yeah. then you would have to admit that you've been wrong for the past five years, and that's another thing with Donald Trump is that most Americans think that we have this egalitarian system where your your wealth is determined by how smart you are, how hard you work. That we have this meritocracy. So if you have to realize that Donald Trump is just a fraud that he lies all the time, that he was born wealthy and he's mismanaged his money and robbed people his whole life, mm-hmm. then you would have to admit that America is not a meritocracy. And that would cause all kinds of stress and strife in your worldview. And people just aren't going to be able to make that happen. That's just too much to give up. 
Wow. That sounds very traumatic. And speaking like what of what they're trying to do is save themselves from some unforeseen or like some trauma in the future if they let this go. Like then who are they? Where right. are they? Why are they? And a prime example of this is the Rona, right? So, okay. I mean, he's lied about the Rona for, you know, the whole time it's been going on. Absolutely. But even in the last debate with Biden, he said, hey, we're right around the corner. It's going to go. It's going to get better right now. We've got it under control. It's getting better. And mind you, now the numbers are increasing so much. They've been at, they're at a higher rate than they've ever been during the whole pandemic. So he just lied like two weeks ago about it. And people are still like, oh, no, he handled the coronavirus well. It's the Democrats that are trying to make us afraid of nothing. Hmm. That's why you have people in like in Iowa and Montana actively getting intubated. And they're yelling and screaming like, why don't you tell me what's wrong with me? There's coronavirus right. doesn't exist. It's going to be coronavirus. Right. Right. And it's the coronavirus, but they don't believe it. It's... um. I'm quiet because like it, this too is sobering when it comes to belief systems, right? You can say this about any sort of religious practice or fundamentalist religious practice. Like there is some sort of turning off of reality for the sake of faith and hope and a denial and a denial also of the human condition, I think. And I feel like that's what is happening. I don't, I don't have an answer for it because... I'd have billions of dollars if I did, I guess. But like, okay, that was real capitalist to say, but like, I don't, I don't, I, I can't, I can't help them. And it is really sad. Like when, when they're saying like, you know, denying it and there they are dying and, and they're dying alone, you know, it's like, what for? What for? Like Trump is not your friend. I think, I, I don't know if I said this the last time, but like, there's this there's this verse in scripture that talks about um, greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for a friend. This is Christ saying these words, and I love that because there is there is something to be said about like having a really good BFF that you will go to bat for, you will um, you know help bury the body so to speak kind of thing. But to give your life, there's no love in giving your life for somebody who doesn't care about you. Who doesn't care about your condition? Right. Who doesn't care about your 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 well being? Doesn't care about your home, your job, your health. How much savings he got in retirement? Like he literally does not care. But you're willing to die for this man, right? For what hope? What hope? Well, the thing is, something around the corner. <laughs> he's very relatable to average person. He speaks. He How? doesn't use lofty speech. Okay, okay. Speaks in terms that they agree. Okay. He tells, he identifies what the problem is in their life, which is the other Mm -hmm. people, the brown people, the Mm -hmm. Democrats. He gives Mm -hmm. them a scapegoat, and then Mm -hmm. he makes them feel part of the power structure. That's marketing right there. Wow, you just gave a course in marketing. You're absolutely (laughs) right. No, legit. He identifies their pain points. He gives them a scapegoat to throw those pain points onto, offers them a bit of hope, and says, look, you can get into our... Ba- that, that's... Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. One of us. The you art can be of in the, the deal. Clip. You can be in the clip. <laughs> oh, my God. Ain't nobody messing but, with my clip. Oh, sorry. But, oh, my God. 
But why he want to be in his clique, though? Except that he became president of the United States and he looks like me and he talks like me. What? No, but I mean, you just want to be associated with the power structure, right? Yeah. Of course you yeah. do. That's, yeah. It's funny you say that power structure. I've been reading, I've been reading Unbossed and or Unbought and Unbossed mm-hmm. um, by Shirley Chisholm, which honestly, like legit, will tell you everything you need to know about what's happening in 2020 right now, like in terms okay. of politics. Like, and the sad thing is this was like written in 1969. So <laughs> how much movement have we had because old white men are are, you know, creating, changing, and destroying laws in this country? But what one of the one of the things that i'm i'm getting from from reading her like freshman experience in congress is that there are too many in there who only want to be part of the power structure and don't feel the need to help change anything this is 1960s politics right and that's happening right now obviously with the 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 defense of what is it the defense protection act Protection Against Bad People Act. Um, I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, Defense Production Act, which is basically like, put these things into place that we need for a national emergency, get it together so that we can all survive and move Mm -hmm. through this, right? Right. But instead, you've got these individuals who are so power hungry and in order to obtain power, had made all of these deals, right? Right that when it came down to making a critical decision that affects the very moral and physical fabric of this country, they're voting against it. And that was literally happening in the 1960s. And I was like, oh, oh, so they're still there. And what we need to do is vote them out. It's literally the same thing. And it made made me appreciate AOC even more. Because in a way, she's like that Shirley Chisholm, who's like, I'm not going to cater to this crazy that you guys are doing. My people voted me in here for a reason, and I'm going to make sure that reason is uh, satisfied or fulfilled. And also get other people on board to see that this is not about the old ways. This is about what we're supposed to be doing for the people because they voted us, voted us in here. Anyway, I it just, now I appreciate her even more. I already appreciate her Bronx girl, hey. Um, but yeah, we need more of those who aren't, who aren't interested in catering to the status quo. Word. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, I don't know how I could go on to how much I love AOC like over and over again. Oh, really? Because in addition to doing that, well, I mean, in addition to doing that, she breaks things down in really simple terms. It's like, this is the best thing to do for the environment. It's really popular. It'll help the economy too. There's really a no brainer. Mm-hmm. The thing that's holding us back is our oil companies. We don't really need oil companies. They're not really helping the world out right now. Yeah. So if it's better for the economy, better for um, energy independence, better for the environment so we can actually have a place to live. Like um, most most Americans are actually for all the things in this. So how are we not talking about the Green New Deal? Or why is it all of a sudden a bad thing? Right. It's It's that whole wait your turn BS that they keep... They keep telling us young young folk, like honestly, like I'm I'm remembering. I think I, I don't know if I told you this before, but like conversations I've had with, and they are older white men. They just all happen to be that. Um, where it's like you have to prove yourself, right? Ninety percent of the ones I've talked to will say you still have to prove yourself. Wait your turn. Ten percent will just tell me that like, well, nobody's gonna bring you in because you're too intimidating. 
um, you're stellar, you're brilliant, <laughs> you're beautiful on top of that. And then now you're going to take over. They're, they're going to see you as a threat. And I'm like, what is wrong with these older individuals? Well, I mean, it's that not, they can't yeah. see like the, the, the power. It's what you were saying before. It's like that. I, if I let go of this thing that I have, I have nothing. And that's not true. Yeah. And that's how they're doing her in like the Democrat, the powers in the Democratic Party, despite how popular she is, mm -hmm. they're trying to unseat her. Like they're trying to run people in a primary against her to try to make it so that she won't even be eligible to run against the Republican in Congress because she took out one of their old buddies. Yes. And they're yes. upset about that, right? It's just hypocrisy because they're saying like, oh, well, you know, when you have these people who have been in Congress for a while, they have more power. So to change them out for a new congressman loses a lot of power for the party, right? But then... What have they done for us lately? No, but the other thing let's, is... Let's measure power by that. The other thing is that now that there's these young um, congresswomen mm -hmm. who are very progressive... The Democratic Party continues to try to get rid of them, which will make them even the new person even more junior. So it's not about right. keeping really senior people in because even there's there's other more progressive politicians who have been in Congress for a while that the Democratic Party will still try to unseat to get a more moderate person in there. Mm -hmm. so it's not really about maintaining the status quo. It's just people who agree with them and they want more of them in there. And it's anyways, whatever. No, it's not whatever. This is like, it's literally, this is our, this is our civic landscape, right? These are people that we spend our time uh, voting for and they should be working on our behalf. The way that it's structured now, like, and I don't know the nitty gritty of the, of Congress, like in terms of who gets to, who still gets to decide who gets to be on whose committee and what it's, it's probably hasn't changed that much other than there are more women and more, less um, and more um, people of color in these spaces. But like, I don't know, maybe I'm frustrated too. There's there's no desire to be held accountable. It's like talk good game to your constituents at home and then go in and have drinks in the Senate building and be in motion, but not in action. Just right. wait, just wait, you know, wait your turn. Once you have been here for like five terms, then maybe you'll have enough power to develop relationships. People will trust you. And it's like, well, we shouldn't be here for ourselves. We should be here for the other people. If we really need to have a fast accelerated course on trust, let's bring in Brene Brown to do an, a one week orientation with all of us to talk about braving and what it means to trust and then move on forward. Stop acting like it takes you. It's it's it doesn't need to take years if you guys know your values. Right. And y'all's values are so discrepant, it's impossible to get anything done. And we just I just can't wait till AOC is old enough to run for president because she Yes. <laughs> like I legit well, I mean, I, this is gonna sound bad, but when Kanye said that he was gonna run for president the first time, this was like, you know, maybe 12, 13 years ago, I was actually excited, not because it was him, but because somebody in their thirties was saying, I'm going to run for president, which I felt like that makes the most sense right now. Like we cannot be having these these old white men, which apparently we have now, <laughs> but you know, like that we need some, a, a different experience to guide us. You know, a female experience would be great. Right. But like just a different experience an understanding of the world, a language that does not cater to the patriarchy or supremacy, but understands people, humanity. 
You gonna make Ghana jollof for Thanksgiving? No, no. In fact, I don't think we should do any cooking. <laughs> I think we should just chill. Like, if we want, we can like buy some turkey broth or something. I don't know. It's turkey just no. I'm just saying, like turkey all the broth? cooking and everything. It's just been a lot this year. Okay, is there no such thing as turkey broth? But I'm just saying, what are you gonna do with the turkey broth? Like, you gonna sip it? Just <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I was <laughs> I have lost my mind. No, no, um, no jollof rice. No jollof rice. At the most plantain. What are you doing? Well, I'm chilling. I'm cooking. But I'm chilling. Oh, what are you going to cook? I'm going to make a turkey breast. I'm going to make some ribs. Because I had been promising people ribs for like ever. Yes. So I'm going to make some of my coworkers some ribs. I... I'm going to make a... Wait, oh. I'm sorry. People should include me. It's been three and a half years. So number one, I never promised you. You decided. No. <laughs> Oh, no, to... where's the text message? Uh -uh. Let me let just let me go to my phone real quick. Yes, I'm just. I did agree it. that I was gonna mail you ribs to New York because yes. that is a ridiculous yes. statement because you can't mail <laughs> pork ribs across the country yes, and then you eat can. them like later because you're gonna die. No, it's called FedEx overnight. Okay, well, anyways, <laughs> people who had genuine promises of me <laughs> making them ribs. I'm going to make them ribs for some of my coworkers. So you were being disingenuous is so, what you're saying. I know we had, there's a big argument over like pumpkin pie versus a sweet potato pie, right? So I'm going to, you know, go ahead and squash that argument and make a pumpkin cheesecake. That's how we No, nope, do not doing it. No, I'm not listening to you anymore. Disingenuous <laughs> I mean, promises. No. You can come through and get you. Like, I can put an extra rack of ribs no. on. It's not really that hard. I can put some more ribs on if you want to come through. Mm, no, I'm vegan. Okay. Well. <laughs> That works. <laughs> Max is going to be happy. He's going to have another rib. Wait, one rib? You were going to set aside one rib. one rib. I mean, you're vegan, so you know, you're not going to be able to eat too much. I might give you two. But anyways. Oh, my God. Anyway. All right. So we're ready to go to BLM before BLM, or you want to talk yes. about BLM? Yes. No, no, okay. no. BLM, BLM. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. So, so BLM, before it was BLM. For people who can't even get the Khalil and Chi show right. <laughs> so we're going like to talk yourself. about the father of the civil rights movement, mm -hmm. Philip Randolph. Wow. So he was a humanist was good. and just an all around bad mama jamma. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, for those of you who don't know, he was actually the key organizer of the March on Washington in 1963. Mm -hmm. I know at this point we talk about Martin Luther King's speech at that time, but the original march was a little bit about something else. And we can get into that a little bit later. So the reason he was called the father of civil rights movement, because mm -hmm. Brother Man was born in 1889, not 1989, but 1889. Right? Wow. right. So way back in the day, he was born in Crescent City, Florida. So he is a Florida man. Wow. He mainly grew up in Jacksonville. His father was a Methodist minister. So in his young life, he um, actually attended the Cookman Institute, which later merged and became Bethune-Cookman in Daytona. Yeah. A lot of us know about Bethune-Cookman, but yeah, the yes. Cookman Institute was one of the first, was the first HBCU in Florida, mm -hmm. one of the first in the country. So he moved to Harlem in 1911, and just like our co-host Chi, he was trying to become an actor. Really? Yeah. He was out there doing his thug thizzle. And what, what? do actors do while they're uh, trying to eat? Work at they work as waiters, exactly. Order, elevator operator. So at this time, wow. like he, his his family was always very socialist. Mm -hmm. So he actually started organizing. So in 1912, 
he started the Brotherhood of Labor. Shut the front door. Chandler Owen. As, as a way of organizing black laborers on steamships, because basically they had to go on these steamships and they worked as waiters, blah, 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 porters, all these other things. But they had really horrible living conditions while they're on the boats. So he went and organized some folks and got some better, you know, conditions. Mm-hmm. He started this yeesh Friends of Shakespeare thing and started a production company and did some plays. He was in a bunch of plays, but whatever. We're going to skip over that. What? No, 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 no. <laughs> that's wild so yeah. he had he had the the shakespeare thing that was in new york mm-hmm. ye friends of shakespeare yeah yeah they put on productions and he starred in a bunch of them and whatnot wait okay so wait why didn't he just why didn't he go into acting i mean i'm glad that mr philip randolph it's, isn't it a philip randolph it's a philip randolph yeah, yeah. A, i'm just curious why he ended up um because we're gonna get into all the other things okay he done go, ahead, with his go life, ahead sorry okay? sorry sorry go ahead yeah he done did some things he done did some things <laughs> okay. So in during World War One, so it's like 1917. Mm-hmm. There's a newspaper that he ended up becoming the primary editor of, uh, editor of, and he renamed it the Messenger. But it was a socialist part, socialist newspaper run by all black journalists in New York. Yeah, it was exactly. I was gonna say the Messenger was started by him. So it was it was called something else before him, and then okay. he took over and renamed it the Messenger. He cut off. There was like. There's another word. I forgot what the word was, but he cut that word off and just wow. you know, ran with it. Yeah. That's so cool. I didn't know that. Okay. But, but I hear about the messenger all the time, just being in New York and yeah. like, wow. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. So then, and you know, he continued to like, you know, agitate for workers' rights, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So in 1925, he f- helped found the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, which was the first African-American union wow. recognized yep. by the AFL. Yep. So. The funny thing is he wasn't actually a porter or a employee of the Pullman company at the time, right? So hmm. corporation at the time was the major railroad company in the East coast and across the land did most of the, you know, transportation of people, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And the porters were trying to agitate and unionize so they could have living wages and good conditions, et cetera. So they came to Philip Randolph because they felt that he was unbought and unbossed, right? Like he had a high standing. He wasn't an employee of the company. He wasn't going to back down. They couldn't threaten him. He was always just, you know, he wasn't afraid of people threatening him because he had these socialist ideas and people threatened him before and he was going to do what he was going to do. Right. So after about 10 years of organizing, they actually won. We're a recognized union, joined the AFL. Moving on down the line, you know, he could have just went ahead and just rode off into the sunset now because he done did more than most folks done did. With a life, <laughs> he could have just became an actor. So, in World War II, he actually organized a bunch of mass protests against discrimination in the war industry. So, in World War II, yeah, the, we manufactured a lot of weapons mm-hmm. for Europe and the United States, and it yep. actually is what helped pull us out of the Great Depression. Yep. So, with all of these jobs, since there was racial discrimination in the United States, they would discriminate and pay black employees less for doing the same job as the white employees were doing, not allow them to have managerial positions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So he was about to bring a hundred thousand folks to Washington, DC to protest this. So Roosevelt's like, yo, uh, we gotta keep y'all, we gotta keep y'all making the bombs and the airplanes and the tanks. <laughs> so we're gonna go ahead and do this little executive order because Congress is tripping. And he signed an executive order that banned discrimination in government government defense factories. The Fair Employment Act. No, it wasn't an act. No, this is an oh, executive. Okay. It was an executive. Oh, okay. 
it ended up coming later on the that came out of the committee that was formed to enforce this. Oh, but wow. yeah, so, but no, but no, Roosevelt's like, no, we got to do this like today because he bringing all these folks and we got to keep these folks working and we don't need no extra strife because we trying to go ahead and win this war. So, so it wasn't really about um, equality or equity. It was about, we need to like get out of this depression. <laughs> so the economy. Right. I mean, and you know, whatever, I'm not in Roosevelt's mind, but that was, that was the onus of making an executive order versus waiting for Congress to do something. I mean, we emancipated slaves to keep the to preserve the union, right? Whatever it would cost, and it cost well, that. It didn't actually get any slaves. It just it confirmed that slavery was an issue, so that the British wouldn't come in on the side of the South, because the British had already banned slavery. I've missed something here, but my point was that that it wasn't that Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves because he thought that slaves should. He didn't be free, free any slaves. He didn't free any slaves. Okay, that, you're not letting me finish my point. <laughs> my point is, the story that is told is that Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves. We all know that's not true. Okay. But I'm saying that people will say because of the war, right, and because of what Abraham Lincoln decided to do with that war, that eman the Emancipation Proclamation, we got to the other side, so to speak. Yeah. But it's but not it was... really true. That's not the right. true story, is what I'm saying. So, like, it's not Roosevelt passing this, or writing this executive order because he believes black people are equally as human as white people is not really what is being said here. Right? Like that's not right. that yeah, you can't draw that people. conclusion. <clears throat> yeah. He was just keeping the war mechanism going. Yeah. Going forward. That That's what I was saying. All right. So after world war two, um, your boy didn't stop. Can't stop. Won't stop. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to sing anymore. I promise. <laughs> So after the war, he pushed Truman to actually desegregate the military. Mm. So that's where the executive order desegregating the military came from. Your boy Philip Randolph pushed Truman to make it happen, Captain. Right. So like I said, he already done did all kinds of stuff, right? I mean, legit. He's ready, he's ready to retire, just right off into the sunset, go back to Florida and retire. But nah. So in 55, he actually became the president of the AFL-CIO. So this is when all the unions had condensed and came into one thing. And he's now the president. I'm sorry, labor, the black man? All of the United States in 1955. No, that's not true. That's not true. <laughs> I am like, okay, there's something. I, I think I know stuff, right? But this right. legit just blew my mind. I'm yeah. sorry. I did not realize this. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, while he's doing this, like, you know, of course, he's pushing for you know, because the, the unions were still racist, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, at yeah. This point, That's why so, I'm like, like, what? There's a lot of anti, like Italian and anti uh, Irish and other like racism going on too, right? Mm -hmm. And they, everyone had their little clicks, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, he's running that. And at the same time, he's actually pushing to desegregate the schools because nothing really, not everything really happened right after uh, Brown versus Board of Education. There's right, still right. Exactly. Didn't actually happen, right? So he's still yeah. doing all that too, right? So... In 1963, he organized the now famous March on Washington. The, the actual real title of the march was the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. That's right. Because what Philip Randolph felt was basic labor rights were the key to improving mm. Black Americans' wow. social standing because as long as labor wasn't valued in the United States and African Americans were forced to be on the lowest rung of labor, we were always going to be in poverty. But if 
the union or the labor movement recognized all people, including African-Americans, and empowered all laborers, African-Americans, a lot would improve. And one of the big things in the March on Washington, what they were fighting for was actually increasing the minimum wage. And it's left out of the stories now because we want to talk about just holding hands. Yeah. It wasn't really about just holding hands. So, of course, he's called the father of the civil rights movement because he organized this. And also, he was old enough to be MLK's father. <laughs> yeah, because you know, MLK, was like, right, MLK wasn't even 40 at this point. Like, he was like in his yeah. 30s. Right. So anyway, but anyway, it was one of the one of the quotes that actually can be still. Wait, wait, wait. I'm, so, I'm sorry, pause. 1963 was the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, right? And this mm -hmm. guy was born in 89. So yeah. let's just say 90. So now he's 74 years old? Mm-hmm. Yo, yep. man. Some up. folks want to talk about the greatest generation. I don't know. The folks came out of construction <laughs> era might just have been. What? Okay, yeah, he's still 74, still out there doing things, doing things. Yeah. Anyways, so his quote from, because he, he actually spoke before MLK. And this quote is actually so relatable right now. Mm -hmm. Break it down for it to be broken. So what he said is, look for the enemies of Medicare, of higher minimum wages, of Social Security, and federal aid to education, and there you will find the enemy of the Negro. Coalition mm. of Dixiecrats and the reactionary Republicans that seek to dominate Congress. And for those of you who don't know what reactionary is, a reactionary is actually the Republican Party. So they want to call themselves conservatives, but if you actually look on the extreme end of the right or whatever, right into the political spectrum. It's not that they want to, so conservatives want to keep things where they are now. So that would actually be what we, quote unquote, moderate Democrats. We're trying to say like, Hey, everything's okay. We need to make these little mild changes maybe. Right. But reactionary is make America great again is you want to go backwards. You want to go backwards in time. And that is again, yeah. And that is what the reactionary Republicans are. So reactionary Republicans were the Democrats who had been Democrats their whole lives and that were so mad about the civil rights movement and about Johnson signing the Civil Rights Act that they decided to change parties. Like all they mama, they grandmama, they granddaddy, the grandpappy, great grandpappy had always been Democrats. And they switched parties because they were so mad that <laughs> racism might end. And they wanted to go back to tomfoolery. Yeah, their power would end. Right. Their power would end because you can't call them. I mean, you can call them racist because by definition, that's what it is. But they don't see it that way. Right. They see it as power. They see it as but, their right to be. Right. But they give, you, they gave up power because yeah. they're they're actually worse off because they didn't yeah. join the, like, the labor movement. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're like against raising the minimum wage now and against workers' rights and against mm -hmm. all these other basic human needs that the government should be providing just because some colored people might get it too. But anyways, moving on up, because we're talking about our boy, Philip Randolph, and not about the mm -hmm. hate, right? So mm -hmm. brush your shoulders off. In, <laughs> in 1964, uh, President Johnson actually awarded him with the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And, you know, mind you, he's not done yet. So it's 1970. Wow. Right? No, I'm just so saying. So how old is he, Chi? How old is he? 80. <laughs> like, essentially. He's 81, right? Mm -hmm. So the American Humanist Association award, awarded him their 
Cumanus of the Year Award in 1970. Wow. And in 1977, he um, signed on to the Humanist Manifesto, Deuce, Part Deux, in 77. But anyways, so uh, one of the criticisms of the BLM now that people like Silicon Diamond and a couple other crazy people talk about is that it can't be pro-black because it's secular, right? Mm-hmm. So even though your boy was born to a Methodist minister, he was actually an atheist and became humanist, right? And it, for those of you who don't know about the humanism, it's basically a theory that all humans are connected and the key to real happiness is connecting with other humans. And moral authority should be based on rational thought. So all of our morals should come from doing good to each other and making society better. Being that war and violence should no longer be tolerated. We shouldn't have aggression towards other countries. The environment should be protected. And there's enough actual goods to go around and all people deserve a decent way of life. And there's some other things. We'll put the, you know, their mm-hmm. manifesto. They've had three different manifestos because they continue yeah. to adjust them over time. But it's basically um, intersectionalism, environmentalism, and just interconnecting with other people it's all mixed pro-human. together. Pro human. Yeah. Pro people, pro peace, pro yeah. improvement of society, pro improvement of ourselves as people. So my point being is that secularism has always had a place in the black power movement and in improving people's lives in general. And he sat right next to his boy, Martin Luther King, and they were friends. And you don't always have to have the same religion to be involved in the same goal and movement, etc. And we I think that's why it. that's why he was like that. <clears throat> he didn't <clears throat> excuse me. He didn't he didn't talk about sort of his beliefs out there because he didn't think that it was irrelevant from the, a, a religious aspect. He didn't think that anybody else's was relevant. What was most relevant is how we treat each other. Right. Right. And that, and that should be it regardless of your faith. I we should be treating each other as we would want to treat ourselves or we would want to be treated. Right. I just don't understand how. Treat them like they want to be treated. You should what? Right. Okay, stop right there because you actually held a note. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to blow up your head or anything, but like that, that actually, I could. I could see the chord progression. Somebody could, you know, replicate that on a piano or the guitar. Oh my now, gosh, see, Khalil! Now I could play the piano a little bit, but I know I can't sing. Okay, every time I okay, sing, but, I know but, it's a joke. But you did that, and joke. now it's here. <laughs> I'm not joking. I mean, it. It sounded almost decent. <laughs> I mean, I'll have to take your word for it. You know. Maybe having the headphones in and being able to hear my voice is going to help me hold the note versus no, when I'm just trying to no, sing. No, 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 it's not going to do it. No, like no, no, no. Be you no, that, that would, no, around. what did I do? Oh my God. No, no, even the snap I was off. Oh my God. Okay, well, guys, thanks for listening.
Make my dream come true. All I want for Christmas is you to stop singing. Bam. Okay, on that note. (laughs) So, yeah, so the coronavirus is real. This holiday, if you want to really get with people, have some Zoom. Make sure you kind of limit it in some kind of way. Have it outdoors. Um, do something, but don't have 30 people in your house. Right. Um, because this is a thing about what they call like a super spreader event. We might have talked about it before, but normally if you're asymptomatic and you're doing the social distancing, you might infect two people. Yeah. Right. Total. Yep. So if you have these events where you have 20 people having dinner together, then you might infect 10 people, 10 of those people who are going to infect 10 other people each. So now you have 100 people who got infected from your one dinner party. Mm-hmm. And of those 100 people, there's going to be several that are not going to be with us anymore in a couple of weeks. So for Christmas. Right. How about that? Right. So this is one year where we've got to suck it up, buttercup. I know it's been frustrating because we all get frustrated being isolated, et cetera. Find one or two people that you like and be around them. Zoom, FaceTime, WhatsApp, video chat. Do other things you need to do to connect with other people. But next year we should be cool because there's a couple of vaccines that should be coming out. We can even start having Rona parties after the Rona's over, right? Like, <laughs> just do what you need to do to make sure there's as many people of your loved ones around next year when we can all just get ignorant and share drinks and eat off each other's plates and be next to each other, et cetera. <laughs> there will be none of that eating no. off of other people's plates. You sound like what? you sound like a dolphin. That doesn't sound like a dolphin right there. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Hey, if you don't eat your cake fast enough, it might uh, disappear. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> Anyways, thanks for listening. It's your boy Khalil, your girl Chi. Hold it down one time for the West Side. We out. Peace. Peace.